Abundance of love Abundance of grace Nailed to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. But Psalm 51 is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And I want you to turn there if you have it. It'll be on the screen if you don't. In Psalm 51, verse 1, the Bible says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of of my sins. I want to preach to you this morning in a different kind of way from a sermon titled Me and He. We've talked about me and he before. Me is you and he is him. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience with us, God. I pray now that you'd anoint me to say what you'd have me to say. God, I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to speak on your behalf, God. Teach us what you want us to know. Let this be a time of impartation, God. Let this be a time of receiving from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Me and he. We focus a lot on Bible study at Abundant Life. Wednesday night, we're having a great time. Uh, I've got graduate certificates uh, for second semester graduates. We're going to hand those out sometime in the coming week. Sitting on my desk, we do a lot of Bible study. We really slow it down even more so on Wednesday night. I'm going to slow it down a little bit this morning. And as we focus on us and him, me and he. And I told y'all, what we need to concentrate on is that the world sees less of me and more of he. You have a chance to go out every day and give the world a piece of your mind. Or you have a chance to let the world see the mind of Christ in a living human being. And this is the options that we have. But uh, the world that we live in, more so now than I've ever seen, but it's not a new phenomenon. It's just more so now than what I'm used to seeing. We live in a world where most people refuse to take personal responsibility. Some of y'all probably saw it this week, that 30-year-old dude that his parents had to take him to the Supreme Court to get him kicked out of their house. My kids already know. That ain't going to be them. (laughs) They get that old. They should have been gone by then. Had to take this boy to court. The police had to show up. And they claim they love him. He claims he he loves them. But he just needs more time. He appealed appealed their 30-day eviction notice to a higher court. He wanted six months. He needed six months because, you know, his finances wasn't all the way together. And his vehicle wasn't. Wasn't just let this boy shame on him. He blaming his parents for his issues, and many of us not in that way, but many of us are still blaming our parents for what they did or didn't do for us. The reality is, though, at some point in time, you got to grow up past that hurt little girl. You got to grow up past that hurt little boy and take responsibility for yourself. If you didn't have the best upbringing in life. Then, then certainly that played a role in how you became. Our, we, we, we are a, a, a sum of our experiences. But uh, there comes a point where you have to say, no matter what mom and them did wrong, 
I got to start taking some responsibility for me. We live in a, sh- in a, in a blame-shifting world. It's always been that way. You've heard me tell you before, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, they were butt-naked, perfectly right with God. They were talking to God back and forth. They, they were fantastic with each other. They were talking to animals. Animals weren't scared of people. People weren't scared of animals. They were having just perfect unity in everything. But then they chose to sin. Many people put the blame on Eve squarely and come up with mythology about Pandora's box and it's the woman's fault. She, you know, she drug everybody into it. But the Bible says that they did it. They did it. And, and the man was responsible. He, he, he should have been making sure that she didn't do what she wasn't supposed to do. He should have been there to help her. But they both did it. They, they ate of the one thing God told them not to eat of. And that's a really a lot like kids still. Biological kids, spiritual kids. Don't, don't touch that while I'm gone. Now, for some children, you just put it in their mind. As soon as that car gets out that driveway, I'm opening that box. Well, I've got to know what's in there. Uh, other kids are like, no, he was crazy. I can't do that. <laughs> Curiosity doesn't help beyond the belt. And so, but gave them one thing not to do. And as people are likely to do, they did it. And they immediately started shifting the blame. See, God didn't come to Eve and ask her why she did it. God came to both of them and asked Adam why he did it. Because he was the man and designed to lead. And he said, in the very first case of not taking personal responsibility in human history, he said that woman. It ain't me, it's her. If you're about to make one of us wear clothes, and, 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 and be sinners, it's her, it ain't me. It's all, it's all on her. And then God, he could tell by God's countenance. That, that, you, you ever know when your kids start realizing that excuse ain't flying today? And then, so Adam goes from that woman to that woman that you gave me. She, you did this. She did it, but if you ain't buying that excuse, you made her, and it's, you gave her to me. Y'all take this rap. I'm, I'm, I'm off to the side. And, of course, that excuse didn't work with God either. Be, the fact that people choose not to take personal responsibility doesn't mean that we must take personal responsibility. We must be accountable. This is less and less in the world today, less and less in our country today. Everybody's a victim. Every, everybody needs special programs. Everybody needs special attention. Everybody has a special disability. I, I saw a roundtable discussion of a uh, professor from Harvard and a professor from NYU trying to convince a bunch of university kids that if they have uh, gender issues, that they should be given at least as much equal rights as people who have physical disabilities because the world treats them so harshly it's disabled them from functionality. Listen, if you're a dude and you think you have, uh, and you think you're a girl, we're not building special wheelchair ramps for you. And, and, and we don't need to have special grant money for you. We, we, we don't need to pass a disability. Hey, you're not disabled. You're just a little funky. Work it out. Refusal to take responsibility. Society has made me this way. 
society. I, I, I've already told, told my children, they, they, they better accomplish something in life because the heterosexual white Christian man in this country can't get away with the victim card like everybody else can get away. Every, every, every gay person, every transgender, they finally did it. I saw it this weekend. I've been telling y'all, I've been telling y'all they were going to do it. Because it used to just be gay people. That's all it was. When I was growing up, well, they're gay. Okay, well, that's what they are. And then, you, you know, lesbians became popular. And then so, well, they're lesbians. And they can't say gay and lesbian because feminazis would be mad about that. And you say lesbian first. It's not the GL community. It's the LG what? B-T. But then they added another letter a couple of years ago. Anybody know what that letter is? Q. So now it's the LGBTQ community. And I saw this weekend, I didn't look it up because I really don't care, but they added two more letters. It's now the LGBTQIA community. I have no idea, <laughs> but they want government money because they've been oppressed. They live in an oppressive world where the oppressors have limited their ability to succeed. Everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody wants to lack personal responsibility. I want to tell you something. If you don't hear anything I have to say today, hear this. You are responsible for you. If your mom and daddy raised you to blame everything and, and, and blame on everybody, then, then shame on your mom and daddy. The world is not going to treat you that way. One of the greatest things, I, I, and I tell you, I don't get my theology from, from anywhere but the Bible, but I see some things in culture that make sense to me biblically. One of the greatest parts of any movie I ever saw, uh, my favorite actor, I've been telling people forever, that, you know, if his skin was lighter, he would have gotten every award in the history of the world, Denzel Washington. I, I, I love Denzel Washington, everything he ever did. One of the greatest scenes to any movie I ever saw was out of Clash of the Titans, okay? So this white school gets integrated. They bring black students there. They got this half-white, half-black football team. The previous coach, white dude, they step him down, put Denzel over top of him. Head coach coming in. They got a little beef going on, but, you know, Denzel's doing it right. The other guy's trying to figure his way in. And... Denzel is a whip cracker. He is a play no games. Get it. And that's how every coach ought to be. Coaches need to grab you by the face mask, spit on you while they're cussing you. Hey, they ought to just be in it. Every coach I had that was that way created greatness in people. And so Denzel was being hard on these kids. That's what coaches are supposed to do. That's what parents are supposed to do. You, the Bible says if you leave them to themselves, they'll bring your parents to shame. You just can't let them. Well, I just they hope they find their way. No, show them the way. So Denzel's busy showing these kids the way. And this other coach, because he does not understand, it's, you know, backwards movie set, you know, before 2018. And not the 2018, it's all that progressive. But they, Denzel finally hems him up because this white coach is going behind, you know, patting all the black players. Well, it's going to be okay, and, you know, he shouldn't be that hard on you. And, 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 and Denzel grabs him off to the side and says, let me tell you something. You are not helping these young black men by coddling them. The world is not going to coddle them. They're not going coming behind them, so smoothing off their feelings. And, and, man, I wish the whole world would hear that. I wish the whole world would realize that the world will chew you up. This life is this life. And you can whine about it and be the biggest crybaby snowflake easily tree that you want to be. 
But they're not going to do special for you. Participation trophies have ruined this country. I had a drink. Participation awards. You used to have an award ceremony for people who did something. Graduating the third grade is not a graduation. Unless you're a hillbilly with no teeth. Okay? That's, that's, that's that. But graduation ceremony, okay, you got, you got the, the, the best student, voted best student by, by the teacher. That, that's, that's something, the best GPA. Then you got uh, the, uh, what, what's that one thing where they don't miss any days? Perfect attendance. I th- I've told my kids their whole life, you know, who get, perfect attendance is for parents that don't love their kids enough to take them out of school and send them to Disney World. But <laughs> I'm just kidding, not really. But at least all those are some measure of accomplishment. But then they come along with citizenship award. Participation. Participation award means you didn't accomplish anything, but we got to give you something because everybody gets a, gets a, a, this is crazy. And we are raising people that are going to find out the hard way that it's a dog-eat-dog world and you got to put up or shut up. And at some point, the rubber's going to meet the road and talk is cheap, but it takes money to ride the bus. So there's always been this shifting of blame that I see happening in our country. But there have been extraordinary people that took accountability for for their own life and taught others to do so. The Bible says that we have these stories for our example so we can learn from them. And as we read about these characters in the Bible, we see some who did good and got good as a result. We see some who did bad and got bad as a result. So I'm going to keep telling you what I've already told you. If you want what others got, all you got to do is do what they did. If you want what others have, do what they did to get it. Some people had God's judgment and chastisement on them. If you want to get God's judgment and chastisement, just do what the, what the rebellious people did. You'll have it. It's promised. Some people had blessing from God and, and, and great love from God. And they, they, they did something to get that. You got to do something to get something. Because I want you to know on our Honor and Graduate Sunday, the world, no matter how much people cry, is not going to treat you special for free. They are going to look for a return. Your boss is not going to care whether or not you were taught how to properly clean a sink when he tells you to go clean the sink in the bathroom. He's not going to pat you on the back like, like, like your best friend mom did uh, and, and say, well, at least my baby tried. If the sink is dirty, they didn't try much. I mean, how big is a sink? Man, this, this kind of, is funny because Elder Jimmy, uh, <laughs> and he gets in trouble. He, he, he likes to call you a pioneer woman. Isn't that crazy? He, he likes to call, but, but what, what in his mind, that's a huge compliment because he knows that, that God has graced Nancy with, with an ability and an intelligence to be able to handle anything and to do anything. And, and that's the pioneer spirit that once existed that almost doesn't exist today. People just fall apart for nothing. They fall apart for anything. They fall apart for nothing because they've never been held to a standard. See, some kids, I, I can remember uh, 1986, spring of 1986, I went into the United States Army, and I was on that bus ride from the airport in Newark, New Jersey, 
to Fort Dix, New Jersey. And different people, people all getting on the bus, coming off different planes. And we got there, and I got thrown into a platoon with about 40 other people. And every night, the same few dudes were crying. He hates me. He, he singles me out. He just wants to kill me. And they were crying. These little poor participation trophy grabbing dudes couldn't go through anything. And the other kids were like, this ain't nothing, man. It's easier than I had it at home. Some were prepared and some weren't. But we have these stories for our example. And two, two of the big story characters that we have in the Old Testament are the first two kings of the nation of Israel, King Saul. King Saul came into power because the people kept wanting other than what God wanted for them. The people kept telling God, give us a king, and God said, I am your king. He had always been the king over the, the Israel people, and they, didn't, they weren't being led like others were being led, but they're like, every other nation has a king, we want a king. And he's like, nah, the king ain't going to be no good for y'all. I, I'm, I'm fair, honest, and just. I'll be the king. Well, we want a king. We want a king just like everybody else has a king. So every now and then, a good parent will give the child what they think they want just to show them how much they don't want it. And my mama used to say, you want me to hit you with this belt? No. I got older. Do your thing. But she did. So God tells them, I'll give you a king. He's going to chew you up, spit you out. He's going to enslave you. He's going to brutalize your daughters and your sons, and it's going to be We want it. All right? So that's how King Saul came into being. King Saul, best. Here's who wins the election, typically. We really had no choice in this last election when it comes to what I'm about to say. The best-looking person wins. Hey, wasn't either one of them going to win no beauty contest. Let me just be honest about that. Uh, but typically, the better-looking person wins. The, 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 the taller person wins. The better speaker wins. The more appealing person, the more person, person with more charisma typically wins. And this is what Saul was. The Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was big, strong, wide shoulder, thick back. And everybody's like, that, he just looks like a king. That's our king. And God stripped his throne away from him and gave it to somebody that was more overlooked. Somebody that when the prophet went to his dad said, one of your sons is going to be the next king, and he showed him everybody but David. They're like, well, you don't want that one. He's the run of the family. He, yeah, that's the one. And so Saul's the first king, was a bad king. David was the second king and was the great king. And some people believe just because they've never been sat under sound teaching or they've never read the Bible for themselves, that David was a better person than Saul, and that's why God blessed David. But David was not a better person than Saul. David was a scandalous person. David was a man who had his own kids raping his own kids. David was a man who had his own children chasing him down to kill him. David was a man who at times was courageous and went out and, and cut the head off the giant, carried it around on a stick. I love that culture. You know, if we just walked in here today with, with our accomplishments on a stick, you, you'd be like, if Mr. C walked in and, you know, he had Brock Lesnar's head on a stick 
And you'd be like, ooh, don't mess with that. Hey, he, he ain't the tallest dude in the room, but hey, man, he got nine heads on that stick. You don't want to be number 10. And, and David was, was a great warrior, and many times he, was, he, he did the right thing. This was a dude who had at least eight wives. This is a dude who taught his, didn't teach, but under his leadership, under his fathering, he raised kids to rape each other. He, he ran from his own children. He proved himself to not only be mighty as a warrior, but also cowardly as, as running away from God and from people that he should have been able to handle. David wasn't a better person than Saul. David, not, not only did he do all those things, he had all these wives and all these sex slaves. That's what that word concubine means. Uh, he had all these wives and paramours. That's what sex slave means. But he had all these women, but he saw another dude's wife. He's supposed to have been out at war. He cowardly laid out of war. He's just looking around. He sees this woman. He's like, man, I got to have that. Well, these, these 200 over here ain't doing it for you. Not one of these can tickle your fancy. You, you got to go. Has his men go get her, drag her to him, has sex with her, knocks her up, and he's like, oh, snap. Doesn't want to take personal responsibility for that. It's like, mm, her husband's been out to war. Anybody can add nine months. It's funny, these parents that don't tell their kids that, you know, first came second and second came last, that... Uh, uh, yeah, you were already in the belly before. But kids are smart, man. They start looking at your wedding certificate. They start saying, when'd you get married, Bob? <laughs> I came out in six months? Yeah, that's why you're little. They know better. So... David got to shift the blame. He's like, call the commander. Have him send that dude back home. His wife will sexy up to him. He'll think he's the daddy. So that didn't work out. Soldier came back home. He's like, I need to be with my men. I need to be on the battlefield. He's about it, man. He was like Gerard Butler. He was just down for it. Action. And so, you know, David's plan fell through. And anytime you try to make a plan to cover up something, all you do is smear dirt. If, if, if you got a pile of poop to deal with and, and, and you just stir it around with a stick, all you've done is spread it out and make it stink more. And so he's busy spreading out his mess and making it stink more. And plan's not working. It's falling apart. That's why I tell my kids, always tell the truth no matter how nasty it is. Because very few people are devious enough. Very few people are intelligent enough to remember every lie they've told. But the truth does not need remembering. It's the truth. You just tell what happened. You don't have to remember how. See, because that's where they always catch you. Uh, you. You said with his right hand? Well, according to what you said yesterday, it was his left hand. Oh, I meant his left hand. Oh, you said it was a him? Well, yesterday you said it was a her. Oh, well, now you, your story's falling. So David's story's falling apart. He, and he's like, okay, well, have have, put him in the front of the battle, have troops fall back from him, and let him get killed. And then he won't be able to say, that baby was born at a time where I did not have any relation with my wife. That cannot be my child. So David's a murderer, adulterer, polygamist. I mean, he got all these things. He's not a better person than Saul. He's a better repenter than Saul. Saul was stiff-necked. But David was rubbernecked. 
If God said walk this way, and David would walk toward him, but David would do like most do. He'd turn around and walk back. But as soon as he realized he was walking around, he would spin his neck around and go back toward God. He was quick to turn back to God. Repentance is uh, a change of mind based on information that causes a change of direction. And David was quick to repent. Saul was still, Saul was like some people in the church, like, I'm going to do me. I don't care what anybody says. I got to be 100. Yeah, 100% stupid. You can't fool God. And so Saul wasn't this horrible person, and David wasn't this great person, but David had faith in God's ability to forgive him. If, if I had my forgive-o-meter, if I could hang it around your neck, just start with Brother David and, and go all the way around the room, and I hang it on, and, and it gave me a signal. If you, you believe God's ability to forgive, or you kind of doubt it a little bit, or you're like, yeah, he can forgive me. And see, that's the problem a lot of people operate under. Uh, uh, you have friends, family members, it might even be you. You think, well, if I walk into church, the building will catch on fire. God will strike the place down with lightning. There's a church on Kingsley Avenue that God burnt down with lightning twice. They joked about it the first time. Struck, struck the roof, with, with light, burnt the whole church down. And, and some people were like, oh, that might be a sign. And they're like, a sign that we need to rebuild the better. And they went you know, found a Bible cliche and made, made mess out of a message and said, uh, you know, the latter will be greater. The, the next house will be better than the first house. And they rebuilt that church. The very next year, God struck with light and burnt it down again. Now, I'm a faith man. But I might have some questions about that. I'll be like, how many times are we going to rebuild this thing? Lightning, man. Can't nobody, Thor don't make lightning. God. But people always want to shift the blame. People are always looking for somebody else. David was quick to repent. You got to be quick to repent. As we look at the, this passage today, we're going to look at some verses in Psalm 51. And I want to concentrate on what David says that is on him. See, because that's what David's ability was to do. David, although he would shift blame, there were also times he would take responsibility. And blame shifting gets more mess on the stick. Taking responsibility may cause you pain in the short term, but it's your process in the long term. Taking personal responsibility is a better path. The reason psychologists tell us most people lie, the number one reason people lie is fear of loss. Fear of loss. They think if they tell the truth, something bad's going to happen to them. So they lie not realizing that if you tell a lie, you're going to have to tell another lie to cover up the first lie, and eventually you're going to be in the middle of it. David has a unique ability, and we see this in Psalm 51, to at times take personal responsibility we need to have the type of relationship with God where we can look at our life and what's going on around us and say that's on God and look at other things and say that's on me very few people in this generation want to focus on that's on me because it ain't me it's it's her uh, he did it if you live in a house with more than one kid the only possible conclusion you can come to is that your children are liars or nobody ever did anything. He did it. No, I didn't. She did it. No, I didn't. Well, I, 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 I did it, but she did But he did but Nobody wants to just, yeah, I did it. Bring that belt on in here. I did it. That's a special kind of person there. That'll help you better in the long run. So let's look at me, and let's look at he. 
Now, in my Bible, before verse 1 that, we read, that I read out loud, before it says have mercy, it has an intro to Psalm 51. In the study Bible, it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 51 is a prayer of David to God of repentance based on what he had done having sex, getting his girl pregnant, and killing her husband. And he is going to own up to some stuff, and we need to do what others did so we can have what they got. So let's look at he, and let's look at me. After the introduction, no, go back to the verse. After the introduction, Nathan the prophet, he came to him and said to David, what should we do to a man who does this? And David says, we ought to do this. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the one that's wrong. It's on you. David could have said, who are you to tell me I'm wrong? That's what most people do sitting in churches. Who do you think he is telling me I'm a sinner? Uh, well, if you listen closely, the real messenger will say we're all sinners. So it's not just what he's saying about me. It's what he's saying about us. But this isn't David's response about the time Nathan came to him and called him out on his foolishness. And, man, if you have somebody in your life that calls you out on your foolishness, you are blessed. Because if nobody calls you out on your foolishness, you're going to get it in your mind that you can get away with anything. And then life's going to chew you up. Because you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you're not going to fool everybody, and you're never going to fool God. And David starts with this word after Bathsheba, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. He didn't say her sins, their sins. Uh, he said my sins. And we're going to look at things in this passage as far as what is on me and what is on he. So let's look what's on me and what's on he on that next slide. The, the verse, he said, have mercy on me. Okay, so what's on he is mercy. He's recognizing what's on he properly and what's on me properly. What does God have that David needs? Mercy. Not only does he have mercy, he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. So he has unfailing love. But he doesn't just have mercy. He doesn't just have unfailing love. The verse goes on to say, because of your great compassion. So God is the one who has mercy, unfailing love, and great compassion. Now, if you knew that you had a parent who would bless you even in their chastening of you, it would be easier for you to admit the truth. Some of y'all have been getting away with lying and conning and hustling so long that you wouldn't even know how to get over it. I, my mind was blown back last man up meeting we had because a dude came in off the street wanting some money. Saw some cars, and this happens all the time at the church. It's not unusual. Uh, total strangers, and, and, I, and I typically tell them, uh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I go to so-and-so church. Well, uh, did you ask your pastor? I mean, if you have a relationship with somebody, it's easier to ask somebody that you've loved on for help. And so he comes in, interrupts the meeting. You know, uh, grandchild needs medicine. He's $9 short. When Walgreens is going to close, and he's got to get up there. So, you know, a couple of men go in their pocket, and they – first guy gives him more than nine bucks, and the second guy's about to put his money back in the pocket. Well, if you want to give that, I don't have any gas either. Okay. 
And so at that point, I, I, want, I wanted to, but I didn't. I wanted them to know what every church member ought to know. Don't come out of your pocket for these hustlers on this church property. You do what you want to do on your own time, but don't come out of your pocket. One of these people sitting in this room right now tries to bone you up for money? Mm-mm. Go see pastor. We have a system in place to help those who need it and to refer others who can go con off somebody else. We're responsible for our money because here's the reality. Hustlers come through, and they hustle all the money out of you, and then you don't give it to God. God, you could have gave it to God and been blessed, and then they come get it from the church if they need it. There's a process to this current hustle going on. And so this is going on, trying to have a man up, and the dude goes, I know you. Okay. This, we go out to eat every night. Y'all know that. People come up to me all the time. Scott, pastor. And they walk off, and, and my kids would be like, you don't even know who that is, do you? No, man, the amount of people we've had come through this place in 16 years, 362 days, I can't keep up. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And he said, you used to run the labor pool downtown, extra man on Main and Beaver. And I used to put to work, you know, 200-plus men every day, daily work, daily pay. It broke my heart seeing the plight of their life, and that's why I went into a homeless ministry before starting this church. And when he told me his name, it registered. Because I'd, sometimes when, you know, I really wanted to speak to somebody, if they didn't get it to go out on a job that day, I'd usually take one or two people uh, over to the Burger King across the way and feed them and hang out and talk with them, try to share Christ with them. And so I remember him, and that's like 1992. That's 26 years ago. And here, here's the reality. 26 years ago, he was walking up to total strangers, running some hustle game on them for $9. And 26 years later, good-looking man, young, younger than me, physically in shape, had a lot of skills, but just knew that hustle game. And listen, some people feel like the hustle is an easier way to make money. Not for, not for a normal dude. A normal guy would rather dig ditches all day long in, in a sewer to make his money then have to stand out there and beg. But if you think these people holding them signs up, especially them people at Argyle and Blanding, you think they're really poor, they got more money than we do. They're raking in money hand over fist. Don't, don't give these hustlers money. Let, let them come through the church. But the reality is he found out at a certain stage in his life, lying will get me paid. Blaming my situation on something uh, extemporaneous will get people to feel sorry for me. Listen, you need to learn what God's responsibility and what's your responsibility. You'll see that as what David sees what God has. God has for him mercy. See, it's not hard to be honest with somebody that you know is going to be merciful to you. God has for him unfailing love. Even a parent, when they correct a child, if they're doing it for the child's betterment, that's a show of love. And God has great compassion on him. But the verse says, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. So we saw what he has. What does David have in this verse? Sins. Sins. David has the stain. He's asked God to blot out the stain. Listen, I want you to know sin has stained all of us. 
Sin has stained all of us. If you are carrying around stains from the past, if you are carrying around stains from years ago, you did something that you shouldn't have done. You did something you wish you hadn't have done. You went through something you wish you hadn't have went through. If you have not unloaded that, if you are still carrying that, your cart is going to break. We can only carry so much stain before we see ourselves as nothing. We can only carry so much stain before we see ourselves as unlovable. So we saw what he and what me have in verse 1. Look at verse 2. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. So David obviously says in this verse, what, what, what does the me have? The me has on the next slide guilt and sin. Every human being that ever lived has stained from their sin. They have guilt from their sin. So we got sin that we need help with. We have stains. We have guilt that we need help with. But what the verse say? Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. So what does he have? He, God, has the ability to wash us clean from our guilt. And he has the ability to purify us from our sin. Now, if you're trying to... Blame others for your guilt. Blame others for your stain. Blame others for your shame. You're trying to get cleaned up through some other means. It's not going to happen, and that's all still going to be on you. You can tell people it was their fault, it was his fault, I'm a victim, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guy, all you want to. But if you don't go to God to get what he has, which is the ability to wash you clean and to purify you, then these things are going to build up in your life. And that's why people have mental breakdowns. That's why people have nervous breakdowns. That's why people get addicted to substance. That's why people go, get divorced. Listen, if you've been married for 40 years and you try to get a divorce, you, you, need, you really need an inpatient program. We, we got people been married 30, 40, 50 years getting divorced in their 70s because they think they're going to run out there and catch new love. Hey, you better dance with the one that brought you. People that try to put the blame on other people are headed for a breakdown. Look, look at verse 3. David said, for I recognize my rebellion. So he's got rebellion. What does it do? It haunts me day and night. So what's the me David sees in verse 3? Rebellion and constant haunting. I know some people that are haunted by their past. I know some people that are haunted by a divorce, haunted by a molestation, haunted by a rape, haunted by an abortion, haunted by a lie they told, haunted by a person they hurt, haunted by a crime they did. They, they just constantly seeing themselves through the eyes of guilt and shame, and you are not built to carry that. Verse 3 has no heat. Verse 3 is all me. I recognize my rebellion. God doesn't have rebellion. It haunts me day and night. God doesn't have constant haunting. Verse 4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. The me is sin and doing what's evil. David said, I got sin and I've done what's evil. If you could be that honest in your situation. If you would do what David did, you can get what David got. David got health, wealth, prosperity, good long life, died happy and full of days, what the Bible says. God is so gracious, so loving, and so kind. The woman that he committed adultery with, that he got pregnant, lost a child. That's no good. But she was also at his bedside when he died. See, God can take your mess and do something with it when you get honest about it. Amen. You got you to gotta put the me on me. And the he on he. Uh, he sees the he in verse 4. 
he says that, that God is right in what he says about me. Do you know when God calls you a sinner, he's right? When God says that Scott Becker is a sinner, he's right. When God says that we deserve to die and be punished for our sins, he is right. Not only that, David said, your judgment of my sin is just. It's fair, it's equitable, it's deserved. This is such a level of honesty. This is such a level of personal accountability. This is such a level of just being real. Most people will never get there. Most people will never be like, I, I deserve. See, this is why some people love to go before certain judges. Because some judges, you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Because judges have discretion. That's why a certain segment of our population gets harsher sentences than others. That's a different message for a different time. But anybody that believes that, say amen. amen. All right? And judges can give you the bottom of the lever or the top. And if, if you know the judge is, is, is kind and, and compassionate, you, there, there's, there's a legal axiom to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. What you're really doing is hoping that judge will give you the same break he gave the last brother that needed a break. You don't throw yourself on the mercy of the court if the judge is a hard neck. You, you knew. You only throw yourself. When you get open and honest about what you've done, you get the possibility of mercy. But you first got to admit, I am a sinner. Everything God says about me being wrong is wrong. His, his estimate of me is fair. Verse 5, he said, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So what's the me David sees? David sees that he was born a sinner. He'd been a sinner from Jump Street. He said, I was a sinner when I was in my mother's belly. Wow. That's a whole message for you right then. He was in his mother's belly. He hadn't been born yet. Some people tell you he's not even a person yet, but God wouldn't tell you that. David wouldn't tell you that. David's like, man, I've been messed up from Jump Street. I, I've, been, I've been doing wrong since, since, since before I even came out. So David is still recognizing the me. No, he in verse 5, so we go on to verse 6. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even from there. You desire. He desires honesty. God has a desire for honesty. I have told my children and told my children and told my children. Tell the truth. You will get in trouble for it but it'll go better on you than a lie. Amen. Tell the truth. I was telling a story a while back, Ethan, about somebody you told, I think it was Brent, when, when I was asking him some setup questions, and you, you remember you told him, the fact that he's asking you means he probably already knows the answer. You remember that? Was that, that was Brent. And so God already knows. You're not slipping one past God. Denying it, blaming other people, you, there's no need for that. God wants you to be honest with him. Now, see, some of y'all think y'all can run that hustle on your parents. Where do you think you got that con artist spirit from? Some of y'all saying, my, my kids are just fast, and, and, man, I got a daughter. I got to watch her all. Where do you think they got that spirit from? Hey, the apple don't fall far from the tree. But God has a desire. A real parent has a desire. Just tell me the truth, boy, because we're going to get to the truth. So David says he, he's got God, he has a desire for honesty. God, he has the ability to teach wisdom. Man, if, you got, if you're messed up, you better be looking for some love, some mercy, some, some compassion. You better be looking for somebody who, who will teach you something if you be honest with them. Verse 7. David says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
This, 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 is a big, this is a big he verse here. He's saying that God, he has the ability to purify me. We need to understand this. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how guilty you are. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about how scandalous you are. It doesn't matter what depth of sin or depravity you've been through. God can make you pure. If you will understand this, this will open an access to you to stay clean. He realized, God, I know you are the one that can purify me. You're the one that can cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. See, sin has guilt. It has stain. It has shame. It makes you feel low and wrong about yourself. You need to go to your father, and you need to get real, and you need to get right, and you need to get honest, and let him do what he can do. You do what you can do, and let he do what he can do. David, the, the me he saw in verse 7 was sin. But not just sin, sins with an S. We haven't just committed sin, we've committed sins. And you be honest with that and go to the one who can purify you, cleanse you. Verse 8, David cries out and says, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. So the me he sees in this verse is the joy that he lost. There are people who are truly saved, but they are so down on their life for the bad choices, bad decisions, sins that they've made on them. And it is on them. They could blame it and they could say it takes two. They could blame it and say he made me, she made me, the devil made they can, But they know it is them. They are saved for real, but they don't have that joy anymore. That's why everybody wants to get back to where they were when they first got saved. Because you had the cleansing. You had the stain lifted. You had the sin removed. You had the weight of the world taken off your back. But because you stopped repenting, because you kept quit going to the cleaner, because you quit going to the purifier, you, you start wearing all that sin, all that stain, and all that shame, and that joy vanishes. Now it's no more. You see, people get saved for real. They're like, man, it's a great day. God is on the throne. It, the clouds are beautiful. I love the rain. The rainstorm is beautiful. The sunshine is beautiful. The heat is beautiful. The cold is beautiful. And everything is just awesome because they're seeing clearly through the eyes of their father and not through this heavy weight of sin. Their joy is gone. David had lost joy. That was the me. But the he he recognized that God, he had the ability to give me joy again and the ability to break me. Put the verse back on the screen for me, Elder. David says, oh, give me back my joy. Whose joy is it? David's joy. He said, give me back my joy. He said, you have broken me. Who, who's he say broke him? God, he is not wrongfully accusing God. God did break him because of his sin. And I got news for you today. God never changes. And just like he broke David for his sin, he'll break me for my sin. And he'll break you for your sin. He's always the same. You see, proper theology does not lend itself to watching fake lying preachers on TV, blaming everything on the devil. Pray for me, Pastor. The devil's messing with our finances. We're going through. <laughs> People come, listen, I'm going to save you a trip <laughs> and some embarrassment. People come asking the church to pay for something for them. Can't get our light bill this month, bro. Just, you know, the devil's messing with our finances. Before you get there, I am already going to have the administrator of the church, I'm already going to tell her to pull up what, Dina? Pull up their financial giving report. See, because I don't know who gives what in this church. But if you're going to come and ask me as the overseer of the church to spend other people's money, 
I got to be faithful over that money people giving to God. I just can't be giving it out to every hustler. So people, you come in and you don't know. You don't know I'm sitting there staring at your, 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 your you know, blank giving report. And you want to come in there and blame the devil, blame what your ex is putting you through, and, 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 and blame what the job did to you, and, 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 and then the devil's messing with your finances, and I'm looking at it. Well, according to this, you've given three times in the two years that you've been coming here, $3 each time. I'd be glad to give you a $9 back. Well, that light bill's on you. Oh, we don't like that. Don't hey. Now, if you have a legitimate need, see, here's our motto. We'll be there for you when you need us. If you've been there for us when we needed you. That's the law of reciprocity. It's about sowing and reaping. It's about taking care of those who take care of you. It's a family thing. And so you come and, and you're like, Pastor, blah, 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 and I only need, you know, like $40 um, to, to get this light bill caught up they're going to turn it off tomorrow um i changed jobs i got a much better job and it's just caught between paychecks and um, i'm taxed on my savings uh you know and and I'll, I'll put it back in the plate as soon as i get my first check and i look at your nine page giving report that some of y'all have and i'm like 40 dollars yeah man you can get that see it's it, it, it's about it, it's about not it's not about what the devil does to you it's about what we do to ourselves that puts God in a position to break us. See, I don't wake up every day with, 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 with a, a, a spring in my step and a, and a conscious thought, well, I just hope my kids do something wrong today so I can take this belt off and just go at it. Can't wait. Boy, I hope a teacher would call me. I don't wake up with that theory. But if they do wrong, I will break them. That's what God told me to do because that's what God does. He wasn't blaming the devil. He said, you broke me. He, that's a he thing. That is a he thing. He has the ability to give you joy again, and he has the ability to break you. Verse 9 says, don't keep looking at my sin. And it's not a command. This is an appeal. He's not commanding God. He's asking God by way of appeal to not look at his sins and to remove the stain of my guilt. Anybody want to guess? There's two things. First one is sins, and the second thing that David has in this verse is what? Guilt. Guilt. If you're truly saved, or if you were raised to have a conscience, and there's a difference, you will know that it is your fault. You will know that I did it, and I'm guilty. Some of y'all got kids that never accepted no guilt at all. It was always the other kid. They did it. They started it. I finished it. It's always the other kid. No, never them. They've never looked you in the face and said, I just went nuts, Mom, and I did it. It's all, I'm, I'm wrong. I know I'm going to get beat for it. I know I'm going to probably take my cell phone away. I'm probably never going to be able to watch TV again or be on the computer. Uh, but I, some of y'all, that would be so refreshing to some of y'all. Y'all would be like, you're the greatest kid in the world. I'm going to buy you a new iPhone. Let's <laughs> just be blown back. David comes straight at it. My sins are so bad, God, I don't even want you to keep looking at them. I, I'm just asking you, please, to remove my guilt. So he, me, me got sins in stain of guilt. He has the ability to see my sins and the ability to remove the stain. The people in, that name Jesus as their Savior that won't go to God and confess their sins 
are really missing out on something. They're missing out on the reality he already knows. He already knows. He's not asking us to learn something. He already knows. You may as well be honest with it. You may as well tell him. You start lying to him, you're just going to bury it deeper. You start hiding from it. It's just going to get worse. Verse 10, David, not commanding again but appealing, says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This verse, David sees nothing on him, but he sees a couple of things that are on God. He says that he has the ability, God has the ability to create a clean heart. There's a song birthed out of this verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is what Christians need more than what they think they need. They need God to fix their heart. They need God to give them a clean heart. They need God to give them a loyal spirit, a steadfast spirit. David realized that's a he thing. You can't clean your own heart up. You, 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 can't, you can't work on that thing that's working on the inside of you. That's a, that's a God thing. you got to learn what's the me and what's the he. Verse 11, we're almost done. He said, don't, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David sees nothing of himself in this verse, but in God, he says God has the ability to banish me from his presence and to take away my closeness to him. He said, he said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked in a different way in their lives than he works in us. The Bible teaches us now, in the book of the month is Matthew. You read Matthew, you're going to find out about it. You read the Gospels, you'll understand that when we put faith in Christ, he puts his Spirit, his Holy Spirit inside of us. So the believers in dwelt, Jesus said, not only will he be with you, but he'll be in you. And he'll never leave you. So the Christian now has the Holy Spirit living inside them. The followers of God in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people and leave. The Spirit would come on somebody in a strong way to do something awesome, and then he would leave. Only David. David is the one exception in the Old Testament. The Bible says that the Spirit of God was on him continually. He had such a closeness, such an access to God, that he always had God right there, even in his mess up. He always had a closeness to God. And, and, and David's saying, please, please, please don't banish me from your presence and don't take away my closeness to you. He understands sin has consequences. Sin, sin puts barriers up. And he does not want that barrier between the one that means the most to him. Verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. He sees he God in this verse he says he sees that God has the ability to restore my joy of salvation and God can give him a willing spirit now David says restore my joy of your salvation listen restore my joy of your salvation restore my joy of your salvation whose joy does he want his he wants his joy back from whose salvation God. Salvation is a gift from God that gives joy to us. But we have joy. You're responsible for your joy. You're walking through blaming everybody. You're walking through woe is me, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I had How many of y'all remember that? Y'all country. He haw. If you're walking through life on a pity party, 
You've not yet realized God can cleanse you, God can purify you, and God can give you your joy back. Because of his salvation. Our joy should not be based on our situation. Our joy should be based on the fact that he saved me. Our joy should not be based on our bank account. Our joy should be, well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. You got all your, your bills paid. I've, I, there's been times in my life I've had financial strain. There's been times in my life where I've been under. You should not let your bank account, hey, you shouldn't let the fact that you're hiding your car every night from the repo man affect your level of joy. Now, if your joy is in that car, then okay, I get you. But if your joy is in the fact that you know God saved you, your God, hey, the, the fact that God saved you is going to work whether they find it or don't. I had a church member one time, so I told y'all some of this. He told me, yeah, Pastor, you know when you're always talking about that guy hiding his car from the repo man? Yeah, I'm, man, they're coming for me. They've been coming for me. Uh, I, 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 they ain't going to get mine, though. Every night I take the battery out the car and I put it in the house. He ain't coming here to drive your car, son. He going to hook a cable to it and drag it on his toe. South Beach toe coming. If your joy is in your whip, then you ain't going to have it when they take it. But if your joy is in the fact that you know God saved you, then you're on the right path. Last verse. Come on, Brother Jeff. Last verse. Verse 13. David says, Then... I will teach rebels your merciful ways, and sinners will turn to you. David knew what meant most to God. David knew God wanted people to turn away from their rebellion and come to God. But David says then, all the Bible students at Abundant Life know the answer to this. Some of y'all never even come to uh, Wednesday night Bible study at Abundant Life University, uh, and, and, and you, but you still know it. Then is when. Then's always after. Then is always after. So here's what David sees. He does not see any he stuff. This verse is a total me stuff. This verse is a total me stuff. When he does all that for me, then me will do what he wants me to do. God has a mission. And that mission is to change the world through his love. The mission of our church, the mission statement of our church, transforming our world by the power of God's love. David knew, God, what you want is people to give up on their sin and follow you. And here's, here's the bargain David's making with God, and God did not correct him for it. God gave him his desire. He was, he was, he was running, a, he was running a, a compromise. He was running, a, he was, he was running a, uh, uh, an option to God. He said, God, if you do all this for me, you'll purify me if you'll take my sin away if you'll take my stain away if you if you if you will unbreak me because I'm so broken over how sorry I've been living uh, if, if you if, if you will let me breathe again because I've been so jacked up for so long if you would just let me just just feel you again if you would just let me know that you still love me God if you would just take all this weight off my back that that I, I, I've caused by so many mistakes if, if you will do all that for me God if you will cleanse me from guilt, stain, shame. If you will take this brokenness out of me, if you'll piece me back together by purifying my sin, then I'll do your mission, which is to teach people God's ways 
That's what Jesus said when he left in the Great Commission. He said, go and teach all the world. Go you therefore and make disciples. Teach people. A lot of you should be teaching other people. A lot of you are teaching. We're all teaching one way or the other. We're all representing God one way or the other, either, either, either right or wrong, good or bad, properly or poorly. The cliche is true. For some people, the life they see you living is the only Bible they'll ever read. But they're reading it. They're watching you. They're watching you. And your life is either teaching them that you're bogus or your God is bogus. And if you live that life of hustle and shame, blame, shifting, then you're helping them to believe that God is bogus. And God is not. God is not fake. God is not phony. God is not false. God is not unjust. God is not unfair. Well, what about the babies born this way? And what about the, what, what about the swole belly kids in this country? All that shape shift, blame shift, outside distraction is just people trying not to deal with the fact that they're sinners and that their sin has put them in a mess but David knows what's me and he knows what's he what is the me in you where is the me in you see I hope there's somebody who can say pastor I'm in such a good place with God right now it's because I Rejoice in his salvation that he gave to me. It, it's because I know he's cleansed me. It's because I'm not carrying that shame anymore. And, and you're like, me is good and he is good. And me is good because he is good. Some of y'all are faking. Take any word you want to assign to it. Stunting, flogging, flossing. Some of y'all are trying to make it look when you come into this place like you love the Lord. But you know you're just shadier than slim. And that's a weight. The fake life is a weight life. The fake life is a difficult life. The fake life, the blaming other people, taking no personal responsibility is a life of no joy. And of constant con artistry trying to convince everybody that you do love the Lord even though your whole life shows you don't trying to, trying to convince other people that you are truly a Christian even though you're so beat down in your own sin you don't even really study the Bible or pray anymore you need to get to your then moment everybody in this room needs to do one of two things everybody in this room either needs to get saved for real or you need to get cleaned up from your sins for real Two types of people in the world. Saved people and lost people. If you're not saved, the good news is Jesus died for your sins. And he said, if you call on his name, he'll save you. Many of us have done that. But we've weighed ourselves down with guilt, stain, shame, brokenness over our bad choices. We got to get a thin moment. We got to get thin. Then is after. After the cleansing. After the honesty. I've rambled way too long to have a, everybody in this church come up on this altar today. And I know some of you are celebrating with family. So I'm going to let you make your decision in your seat today. If you know things are breaking around you, 
He's breaking it because of the decision me made. Me makes decisions that causes he to get involved. Me does things that causes he to respond. See, praise and worship, some people don't participate in praise and worship. You're not even asking God to respond. When, when you worship God, when you tell God how much you love him, he responds. When you shame yourself, your family, your mother, your father, and your God by bad decisions, he responds. What is God's response to you today? Pastor, honestly, I'm just being blessed, man. Financially, spiritually, emotionally. I mean, it's just things are good. That tells me that either you are faking it or you did something to get that response. You can't tell me tomatoes are growing all through your backyard and nobody planted tomato seeds. Doesn't work like that. If you are just reaping great goodness, you should be out there teaching God's ways everywhere you go. If you are clean and happy and, and joyful over God in your life, you ought to be leading other people to Him. See, this is the message of Christ. Come to God and receive His love. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Come and let God do for you what He's done for me. Now, if you're busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted, if you're a pity party walk, moving in action, if everything is just horrible and you've even got nothing good, who wants that? Come to our church. Get, get, what, get what our God has for you. Well, it don't look like much. Depending on who they're looking at. You need to get to your then moment where you can follow through with the assignment to teach somebody God's ways and to lead somebody to God. You can't do that faking your way, shifting the blame. You can't do that until you get serious and say, God, it's me. I love that chorus that just gets honest and says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother or my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. See, that's when you just take the spotlight off everybody else. And you get down to what we've been talking about for a long time. You got to start with the face you see in the mirror. You're doing things that are causing God to respond. Good father's always going to bring that belt. Good mother's always going to hold you to your task. And God is going to hold us to our task. Our task is to teach people his ways. Our task is to lead people to him. Jesus said he came into this earth to seek and to save those who are lost. He spent his life teaching the Father's ways. And that's what he's called us to do. But we can't do that. Blaming other people for why we're so ragged. Well, I, I get right in my prayer life if. That con doesn't work on God. You may have convinced yourself that it's the devil messing you up. But I know God is breaking you as a result of something you've done. You say, well, how do you know that so solid? How do you stand up there flat-footed and tell me you know that? Just because you read it in the Bible? Well, that's, that's, that's the big reason. It's not the only reason. I know it because I've lived it. I know it because when I load down with sin, when I make bad choices and sinful desires, when I not doing what God has called me to do, things start to break down. 
these liars on TV with this ultra hyper charismatic movement have taught us all we got to do is say, I declare and I decree health and wealth for me. Lying foolishness. It don't work. If it worked, they wouldn't be asking you to send them money. They wouldn't need your money. They'd declare and decree. They want you to declare and decree, but they, they, don't, they don't do that. They need your money. Well, why don't you just stand up there? I declare and I decree. No more begging for me. Because you know that don't work. You want to declare and decree something? Declare and decree this. God is always right. I'm the one who's wrong. And God is just in his response. God is fair. I messed up. He punished me. And I deserved everything I got. See, that's maturity. Some of you kids, you're going to get to that place one, one day in your life. You're going to get to that place where you're going to look back and say, I thank God I had a mother that was willing to beat sense into me. I thank God I had a father that didn't play with me. I thank God that my parents held me to a standard. We have a God who holds us to a standard. But he's not a hard God. He's a gracious God, a loving God. He's full of mercy, full of compassion. The Bible says he is ready to forgive. I love the literal reading of 1 John 1, 9. That verse says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That word confession there in the Greek means to agree with God. If you agree with God about your sin, he'll forgive you of it. If you keep stunting and acting like it's them and it ain't you, that's stain, shame, and guilt. And you can't fool God. If we, uh, another translation says, if we are the ones who are confessing, God is the one who is forgiving. Get real with God. Get honest with God. Live a life that allows you to get to your then moment where you can teach other people his ways and lead people to him. The number one reason people say they don't believe the Christian message is because of all the hypocrites in the church. They've seen too many people that claim Christ that live shady. That is not a bad reflection on Christ. That's a bad reflection on people. Don't, put, don't let people shape your image of, of God to the negative. But if we would really live the life that God has called us to live, and there's always a few, there's some real worshipers in this room who keep joy. Because they pour love out on God and he pours it back on them. There's some people in this room whose bills are paid. Because God said if you give to him, he'll give to you. And, and they put that in action. Faith requires action. So we can stay in our now moment. It's everybody else's fault. It ain't even about me. I'm a victim. Or we can be honest and we can get to our then moment. There's blessing on the other side. There's purpose on the other side. There's usefulness on the other side. That then moment is the moment God created you for. You've been holding on to your sin that's keeping you from your then. You've been holding on to your mess that's preventing your message. You've been holding on to parts of you that are preventing purpose in you. You need to get to your then. But that takes a level of honesty that most people don't have. That takes a level of seeing what's on you and what's on he. What's on me and what's on he. I'm wrong, he's right. I'm the sinner, he's the just one. I'm the one who puts myself 
in a need for chastisement. And he's the one who breaks me. Get honest about your life. Take responsibility for your life. Quit being a victim. Be a victor. Become victorious in Christ. The Bible says that we are victorious in Christ. There is a victorious life to be lived in Christ that very few churchgoers will ever experience because they're not really looking for victory in Christ. They're just looking for a little fire insurance. They want to keep doing what they're doing and go to heaven anyhow. You don't find that message in the Bible. You find this message in the Bible. When you come to God and you be honest with him about your sin, he will honestly forgive you. He will clean you up. And he will set you on a firm foundation. And he will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He will give you wisdom that you could have never had. He will give you peace like a river and overflowing. And all that sounds like storytelling to most people sitting in church because they don't believe it for them. You get the me right, he'll get the he right. Let's pray. God, thank you for being always right. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit to convict us, to guide us, to lead us. God, I pray that you would give us a willing spirit to follow you, a willing spirit to be honest with you, a willing spirit to come clean so that we can get on to the purpose you have purposed us for so that we can teach other people how great you are so we can lead other people to the victory that you give thank you for dying on the cross for us God I pray for every person in this room who's not saved that you would show them even now that they need real salvation God I pray that you would trouble their heart and cause them to wonder why let us have our then moment God we ask you to cleanse us to purify us so that you can use us in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world Your support is greatly appreciated If you would like to give a donation please go to AOCFnow.org Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church Loving God, Loving People